0: I'm your host Ryan Gable, and you're listening to the Secret Teachings right here on The Fringe FM. If you'd like to contact the show this evening, you can email us at rdgable at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media by visiting facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. And you can check out our website at www.thesecretteachings.info for a full list of all of our previous shows. Last week, all the shows are in the archive now, right now, on the website www.thesecretteachings.info. You can also find our books there. And when you subscribe, you get access not only to the archive, but to the montages and to all of my digital books as well, all of that on the Secret Teachings website. We are back again, I know, about a month and a week of being off-air due to my vacation and due to the network being down, while the hardware for the network was being transported into a new studio. I know that a lot of people were wondering my take on Many topical issues, and we addressed those last week on a show called Coercive Contagion. And we then talked about, on Thursday's broadcast last week, the subject of Algol and the Algol Rhythm and the Demon Head, Medusa. And on Friday, we talked about Pride and Prejudice. I'll sort of let you figure that one out for Pride Month. And Tonight, I wanted to weave together a couple of different topics, and I wanted to incorporate part of my experience, one of the places I traveled, something that I saw and something I learned a little bit more about. Most of you know I took a cross-country trip, and on that trip I went to Rachel, Nevada. I've been there a few times. And, of course, for those of you who don't know, Rachel, Nevada is a very, very small town. It's close to Las Vegas. It's about 90 miles north northwest of Las Vegas. And I think it's about 50 or so miles from Tonopah, Nevada, both of which, Rachel and Tonopah, kind of orbit around the infamous Groom Lake or as it's popularly known, Area 51. And if you used to listen to this kind of radio in the 1990s and the early 2000s, and you've listened to Art Bell and others, Rachel Nevada became very popular as a destination to go to to see UFOs. And one of the the individuals who made the subject of UFOs in relation to Area 51 popular was, of course, Bob Lazar, who has now had a documentary made solely about him, and I believe that is on a a variety of streaming services. Personally, I didn't think that it was a great documentary. Maybe it's because I've heard the story hundreds or maybe even thousands of times. But if you go to Rachel, Nevada, there's a little motel there it's called the Ailey Inn. it's a cute little clever name they've had um the x-files and a bunch of hollywood movies have filmed episodes or scenes from movies out there and if you go into the little cafe bar they have a lot of famous people that you'll know probably from the radio world from stan friedman to linda bolton howell uh, their pictures are up with autographs and they used to have like a little library of books there but I guess they got rid of those for some reason. But anyway, you know, I, I go out there and uh, I didn't see or hear anything this time. Uh, the weather was very, was very strange for the desert. It kind of looked like, um, kind of looked like that afternoon thunder rainstorm that you get if you live uh, on the Gulf Coast. And I didn't really get to see anything. But I've been out there so many times. I've seen some strange, bizarre stuff. And that doesn't mean that it's alien or that it's extraterrestrial. But, see, the thing that interests me about an Area 51, which was acknowledged to exist officially in 2013, I believe it was August of 2013, is that Area 51 is one of a number of top-secret or semi-top-secret military military, installations. And Area 51 became recognized as this this location or this facility that people speculated upon might house the material or might house the actual beings uh, of a UFO or of an extraterrestrial or something that's not human that comes from somewhere else that's we'd assume, intelligent if it's flying these devices. Now, a lot of that came from late-night radio, and it came from a handful of books. I don't necessarily need to name the books, but it came from a handful of books and a a small number of authors who promoted this theory that some of the debris from the so-called Roswell crash, I call it an incident because there were several debris sites and it took place over a number of days according to according to the specific details of the official story if you read it and also according to declassified government documents this was a multi-day a day event there were multiple incidences there were debris over over a wide area it wasn't just on a ranch near Roswell New Mexico But nevertheless, the theory was that a lot of that debris was taken from Roswell and it was transported to Area 51. Now, without having much more knowledge than watching a television show, you know, watching one of the Discovery or History Channel shows or watching a documentary on a streaming service, a lot of the people that are interested in this have not obviously and clearly gone to the source of where that information comes from. It's, it's a theory, it's an idea that was proposed, and then it kind of balloons and snowballs, and it becomes the dominant theory that everybody just knows that, which was part of the reason that when there was a social media gathering to quote-unquote storm Area 51, people like myself... I didn't participate in that, and I didn't think it made much sense at all. In fact, we know that it was a publicity stunt that was set up in part by Art Bell before he passed as uh, a way in which to get attention, and Art Bell is well-known for drama, get attention drawn to Heather Wade, uh, his, I guess, replacement, who has now vanished from radio once again, as far as I can tell. Uh, It says on her website, the Kingdom of Nye. So that was a publicity stunt. But a lot of people, because it's so so much a part of the popular culture, that's what most people know, Area 51 aliens. But there are other facilities and other military bases, uh, national labs. I would venture to say, I I don't think that it's a stretch, uh, that there were obviously... Uh, facilities that were run by private corporations, aerospace industries, or the aerospace industry, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, etc. And that whatever it was in New Mexico, if there was really something bizarre and alien in the sense that it's not human, it was probably taken to one or another facility. Maybe it was housed at first. I'm just trying to think logically. But there were other facilities that it could have been taken to. In fact, uh, a similar theory says that part of the debris was taken to what some people refer to as Area 52, otherwise known as Dugway Proving Ground, which is a military base in Dugway, Utah. Uh, Now, this facility uh, is probably more historically well-known than Area 51 in the sense that there was an incident back in the 1960s, 1968, where thousands of sheep were killed. And for those of you who don't know, Dugway is not just a military installation. They test chemical and biological agents there. And so the story goes that these thousands of sheep, many of them died. Uh, Others were paralyzed or had neurological problems they were essentially the victim of a biological chemical test, specifically a test that dealt with some form of nerve gas. So that is very well documented. That was back in the 1960s. And and some people believe that that was the facility, a biological chemical facility that was home to some of the debris from Roswell. Now, I don't really care to defend one theory or another. And I find it interesting that there are people in what we might refer to as the UFO community who are interested in not only debating, but it it, it becomes like a religion. And and that has always concerned me. And so has the, the incredible media coverage of UFOs in the past four years since the New York Times article came out about black money and Louis Elizondo. And now, as of January of this year, there is supposed to be a declassifying of certain information pertaining to UAPs or UFOs. And that information should be officially released this month. uh, What I guess you could call it, tentative report was already put out by the New York Times with a headline, U.S. finds no evidence of alien technology in flying objects, but can't rule it out either. A new report concedes that much about the observed phenomena remains difficult to explain, including their acceleration as well as ability to change direction and submerge, therefore becoming, obviously, what people call USOs. And so the article from the New York Times and the USA Today, they say that the military, the government, they can't identify exactly what these things are. So they're not saying that they're aliens, but they're not also ruling out that they could be extraterrestrials or something uh, uh, to that effect. Now, there were several different facilities that could have been the location for which alien technology, let's call it, was taken. And uh, the two popular are, of course, Area 51 and then what people refer to as Area 52. There's also speculation uh, that it was taken, and this is probably outside of Area 51. Um, I don't want to give the impression that Dugway is is more important, but Wright-Patterson Air Force Base was also one of the major facilities where some of this material was supposedly uh, taken. And it's interesting because Area 51 Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is in Ohio. It's in Greene County, Ohio. And uh, the Dugway facility are kind of three different but very similar installations. So Dugway is a military base. It's an Army chemical and biological warfare facility, basically. And they test those kinds of agents there. Wright-Patterson is an Air Force base Area 51, although uh, there's a tremendous amount of speculation on who ultimately runs it, uh, Edwards Air Force Base is the uh, the given operational facility, uh, that it's Air Force, but that they also test top-secret technologies there. Going back to the Cold War, the SR-71, the B-2 bomber, the F-117, and other uh, other uh, craft like the, the F-35 now that essentially turns invisible. So if you think about it, what you have is you have Area 51, which is a top-secret testing facility, yes, run by the Air Force. They test top-secret technology there. Dugway, which some believe is a facility where UFO debris was taken, uh, is an Army chemical and biological warfare facility. And then Wright-Patterson is an Air Force base, and again that is in Ohio and uh, there is a lot of speculation about unidentified flying objects in Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, even in New York and people believe that there are being there have been test flights from Wright-Patterson and other bases where they flew reverse-engineered technologies. Now Those three facilities are interesting because of the slightly different work that they do and suggest that they might be the perfect facilities to reverse-engineer alien technology. There are also other types of facilities, three in particular, that were instrumental in the development of an atomic bomb. Those facilities are the Hanford facility, which had been shut down, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, and... Uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory. But there are other national laboratories that play as important of a role, so much so that they are instrumental today in developing new technologies, but we don't hear a lot about them, and I'm going to tell you about that tonight on The Secret Teachings. If you just stay with us, we'll be back after this break.
2: You are listening to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM, where you can catch the secret teachings with Ryan Gable five nights a week after Lighting the Void with Joe Rook.
0: If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of my books. For the month of June, home of the summer solstice, you can submit a one-time donation of only $45 and get a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping. For those of you who want to consistently support The the show you can subscribe for a monthly donation and get the same access to the archive just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on the donation subscribe tab at the top of the page if you're just interested in the books you can find each one of those on the website as well and if you have any questions you can email me at rdgable at yahoo.com thank you so much for supporting the secret teachings over the years i look forward to keeping you company through all the late nights and early mornings for many years to come My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk
1: shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more.
0: Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now, the Paranormal Radio app.
1: Free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Do you want to know more about this strange and weird reality we live in? Join me, Jess Rogie, the host of The Rogie Report, where we explore the unrevealed. Every Wednesday night, live at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, here on The Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show. You can find me at Truth Frequency Radio or on my home website, www.kevbakershow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK, digital broadcasting, The Fringe FM. This is Michael Strange from Troubled Minds. Did you hear that scientists recently discovered radio waves coming from Proxima Centauri? Well, I cannot confirm nor deny we are broadcasting from that neck of the woods. You are listening to KTLK, The Fringe
0: FM. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is The Secret Teachings Radio on The Fringe FM.
1: Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. My website is jordanmaxwellshow.com. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable.
0: You're listening to the Secret Teachings Radio right here on the Fringe FM Monday through Friday, five nights a week. I'm Ryan Gable, your host. Thank you for joining us this evening. I'm sure most of you have heard by now that June is the month of some kind of disclosure anyway, disclosure about what aliens, UFOs, UAPs, take your pick. Part of the government report has been published by the New York Times on aerial phenomena witnessed by Navy pilots in recent years. And the federal government says they cannot explain the unusual movements that have plagued scientists and the military, according to senior administration officials, briefed on the findings of this highly anticipated government report that was established and set to be released six months from January under the previous White House, the Trump administration. The report, according to the New York Times, determines that a vast majority of more than 120 incidents over the past two decades did not originate from any American military or other advanced U.S. government technology, according to the officials. That determination would appear to eliminate the possibility that Navy pilots who reported seeing unexplained aircraft might have encountered programs the government meant to keep secret. Now well, that's what the New York Times reported, and I'm going to cover this in more detail at some point, either this week or next week. But when I read that, the part about advanced US government technology stood out to me, as did the part about these unexplained aircraft that Navy pilots might have come into contact with that the government meant to keep secret. Did it ever occur to anybody that maybe the government or some faction of the government didn't mean to keep these objects secret, but indeed intended to at the highest levels perhaps of security or through a system of plausible deniability through defense contractors and through the aerospace industry, private companies attempt to do the opposite of keep these things secret and to fly them in broad daylight, blatantly in front of some of the most trained, professional people, pilots in particular, in the world, and to see what the reaction would be. Did it occur to anybody that this official establishment of a governmental acknowledgement that some objects that have been seen by highly trained pilots are not U.S. government technology, they're not necessarily alien, but that can't be ruled out? Did it ever occur to anybody that this might be another psychological game, that this might be another game of wordplay. I would read the New York Times articles, and I would read the official report that should be coming out in about three weeks very, very, very carefully. Because if you don't read it very carefully, it's merely going to confirm your bias one way or another, and it will do no good in the realm of what we call and what some say we need so badly, and that is disclosure of the existence and the presence of extraterrestrial beings here on planet Earth. Now, when I was traveling across the country, I had a chance to stop at a place that is well known for its UFO sightings, And it has been popularized in movies and in television shows like The X-Files. And it has been popularized specifically by late-night radio. Now, it's kind of the old radio. It's kind of the old world. And that is Rachel Nevada. And I had a listener while I was out at Rachel Nevada who said... Some type of smart, smart, but smart ass comment about how people go out there to confirm their convictions. And it's like a religious travel as if I'm traveling to one of the Muslim holy sites and walking around maybe the Kaaba seven times. And I know that this person, I don't know how much of a listener they are, I know that they were meaning to be, because I asked them, they were meaning to be derogatory toward my choice to go to this place. But I actually agreed with them. I I believe that a lot of people go to those places because it's a pilgrimage. That's primarily what On top of this, I believe, being a a psychological social media experiment and also being a publicity stunt for Heather Wade and for Art Bell at the time before he passed away, the storming of Area 51, which did wonderful things economically for the town of Rachel, although I'm sure a lot of the residents didn't want those people out there, but it became... Not only a pilgrimage over the years, it became a place to go drink beer, take acid, and basically rave in the desert next to a highly sensitive military installation. Yeah, if you storm it, you're going to be arrested and you're going to be shot. That doesn't and shouldn't confirm your bias that there are aliens there. And besides, like I said, when this whole thing began, uh, what do you think you're going to do? Do you think you're going to run in through the private security through all the, the the military security and you're just gonna find the first person you can find who has the most stripes on their uniform and you're gonna shake them real hard and say show me them aliens do you think that person has any clue what you're talking about they probably like the guy from the x-files make up these tabloid stories while they're in the bathroom um, I found it to be a little bit embarrassing if if I can be directly honest with how I felt about that that event. But what was the reason that people went there? Okay, people went there because of psychology. They went there because of social media. And those ideas stemmed from entertainment, both in the radio world and in the television and in the movie world. And that became... Yes, indeed, a holy site, and people take pilgrimage is there to see the black box mailbox and to see some unidentified flying objects, and that's just the place that's put on the map. However, there are other places. Tonopah, Nevada, is essentially around the corner. It's like, I think, an hour drive, but it's around the corner on the other side of the base, and they see the same kinds of things there, but Tonopah is not a place, it's a much larger place than Rachel. It's not the place that you really go, and it's, it's as touristy as, as Rachel is. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because as radio transforms, and as late-night radio transforms, I believe that we need to transform with it. And in the process of transforming with it, We need to look to other people, and we need to look to other stories, and in this case other locations, as being important and significant in relationship to all the things that we find interest in. Aliens, advanced technologies, government cover-ups, you name it. And I know that there are probably dozens or more places all across the United States where you have small towns of people, maybe larger towns of people who have been in a similar situation to the people that have traditionally and historically and even up into modern times been the victim because these people are still alive, been the victim of, government, and military experimentation. The 1950s and the 1960s saw the bulk of America's nuclear testing, and it was done in a 680-square-mile piece of desert about 65 miles outside of Las Vegas, known as the NTS or the Nevada Test Site, was essentially ground zero for America's Cold War preparation, testing the effects and the power of atomic bombs that were designed for the military. Just in the 50s alone, around 100 above-ground nuclear tests were conducted at the site. And today you might have heard of the term downwinders. This is a term that refers to people who have lived in a community exposed to nuclear radiation during the end of the Cold War, or the beginning of the Cold War, the end of the Second World War, excuse me, uh, into the Cold War. So about the 1940s to the 1980s. So people that lived in places like Arizona, people that live in Nevada, people that live in Utah, people that live in Idaho, people that live in Washington State, all have been exposed to various forms of radiation. And according to the National Cancer Institute, A significant portion of the Intermountain West was exposed to high doses of radiation from these nuclear tests, specifically the radioisotope iodine-131, which interferes with the thyroid, among other things. Now, for those people who had been affected, in the 1990s, the government passed the Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, RECA, which was in part a way for the U.S. to acknowledge the damage its nuclear testing had caused. The National Cancer Institute in 1997 released a study showing that 25 states had citizens exposed to high levels of radiation due to nuclear testing, though RECA, as of 2020, only covers Nevada, Utah, and Arizona. It does not cover Idaho, which was greatly exposed to this nuclear radiation. And from the reports I've read, Idaho has some of the highest or the highest exposure to that nuclear radiation, that nuclear testing, uh, and has the most counties affected by that radiation as a result of the way in which the wind might have been blowing During those testing days and how the wind proceeded to blow that radioactive material across several states into Idaho, obviously affecting those people in Utah, people that, although it's very rural and desolate, people in Nevada, or if the wind was blowing the other way down into Arizona. Now, these were the nuclear tests In, in my book, The Technological Elixir, which I implore you, it's an incredible book. I'll promote it myself, go to the website, grab a copy. It's free shipping in the U.S. I've got everything in this book from black goo and the music industry to unidentified flying objects, UFO cults, and I even have a section on the development of the atomic bomb because there were three major laboratories used in the development of the atomic bomb, as we know the atomic bomb. Oak Ridge National Laboratory, Los Alamos in New Mexico, Oak Ridge is in Tennessee, and Hanford in Washington were instrumental in the Manhattan Project, which was the secretive research project aimed at building a nuclear bomb. Los Alamos was the central laboratory run by the famous or the infamous Julius Robert Oppenheimer. Now, one thing a lot of people don't know about Oppenheimer is Oppenheimer actually refused to build a hydrogen bomb, so he had his government clearance stripped. He had to change in conscience, though that resulted in him losing his, his job, essentially. Despite the best efforts of the United States at the time, the country had a few key problems in producing a bomb. Number one, there was not enough uranium. And number two, there were no usable fuses. Now, the American plutonium bomb simply could not be completed without a quicker fuse that could match the necessary critical mass to be achieved for detonation. Most of the plutonium that was being developed was coming from Hanford, the Hanford site in Washington. A lot of that material, the lab has since been shut down, a lot of that material is still there, available, or has been stored in facilities in places like Idaho. And that's what we're going to get to tonight because Idaho is a very important state for all of this and perhaps even for the subject of extraterrestrials. So because there was no fuse and because there was a lacking of uranium, we couldn't have a uranium bomb. And although we had enough plutonium, we couldn't detonate the plutonium bomb. We didn't have the fuse. So. You read through my book, The Technological Elixir, you'll read quotes from people like Eric Jett, the chief metallurgist at Los Alamos, who wrote a letter with his concerns about the amount of uranium available for a bomb. And he basically said that at the time, and this is in 1944 in December, they would have just enough uranium if things operated perfectly and they worked round the clock to detonate and to test a uranium bomb. It's highly significant that Eric Jett wrote this letter in 1944 in December because compare that letter with the detonation of these bombs. The Trinity plutonium bomb detonated at White Sands, New Mexico, near Alamogordo, July 16, 1945. We're looking at just about half a year after this letter, about uranium, we have a plutonium bomb detonated, meaning that at some point in those six to seven months since that letter had been written and in the months prior, fuses had been developed to detonate the plutonium bomb. In August, the uranium bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan, 1945. And then three days later, the plutonium bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. So the U.S. tested a plutonium bomb dropped one on Nagasaki, August 9, 1945. Now, it's very interesting that the little boy bomb contained a specific amount of enriched uranium, and a full seven months and a week after uh, the letter was written by Eric Jett, here is the bomb, even though they really didn't have the material to make the bomb. So within a few months, suddenly we have all this material and we have triggers for the plutonium bomb, and history is history. So the story goes that there was a deal made, and a German U-boat 234 traded some material, uranium, and a Dr. Heinz Schlick, inventor of fuses for atomic bombs, and they traded this in exchange for Basically, immunity from war crimes, from prosecution. If you read into that story more, it's in my book, The Technological Elixir. You'll read about the details of a German program to drop an atomic bomb and detonate it over Manhattan. It wasn't just a theory. It was tested. They flew planes to the skyline of New York, took photographs, and flew back very close to dropping that atomic bomb. Now, that's the history, and a little unknown history that some of you might not know. But what's interesting about it is that there were three major laboratories that were used. Oak Ridge, Los Alamos, and Hanford. And those are the three laboratories that we hear about and that we know about and that are Los Alamos in particular is infamous. Oak Ridge is arguably infamous. And in the last few years, Oak Ridge in Tennessee has announced that they are going to be beaming particles at an impenetrable wall and attempting to isolate those particles on the other side of this impenetrable wall and an experiment to determine if there really is an upside-down world, like in Stranger Things. Now, these laboratories are run, and there are several dozen in the United States, not an overwhelming amount, but there are several dozen. They're run by the Department of Energy. And these laboratories are essentially on and off the books. What goes on at some of these facilities, it's not the typical kind of research that you would find at a university or any other state or university-run laboratory. These are top secret. They do have public tours or acknowledgement on websites of what they're doing but during the Manhattan project those laboratories were instrumental in developing the material and developing the 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 test and the I mean plutonium at Hanford was one of the big things so when you put all those together those labs were instrumental in a compartmentalized program to develop an atomic bomb. After Roswell, material was supposedly taken to Area 51, right? That's the story. Some say that material was taken to a place called Area 52, Dugway Proving Ground, established in 1942, just southwest of Salt Lake City, Utah, home of the infamous 1968 Sheep, killing incident, and at Dugway, they test biological and chemical weapons. At Area 51, they test various forms of advanced technologies. And although Area 52 is a tongue-in-cheek name given to Dugway Proving Ground, the real Area 52 is the Tonopah test range in Nevada. There's a third facility where material was supposedly taken after Roswell. Area 51 is probably the most well-known Area 52 has become very popular today because of TV shows, but one that a lot of people might forget is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And over near Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio, around Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area, there have been a number of reports of strange and bizarre objects that have been seen in the sky or in the case of a very, 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 very famous UFO incident, the Kecksburg UFO incident, December of 1965. I actually got a chance to go there a couple of years ago. There's not much there, but there's a little memorial. And what looks like a beehive, if you type it in Kecksburg, K-E-C-K-S-B-U-R-G, Kecksburg, you'll see this little beehive-shaped thing on a wood platform. Now this is what people saw. A fireball. Across six states. And Canada. Back in December of 1965. And this object looks eerily similar. To the famous. And the infamous. Bell project. Of the German military around the end of World War II called Die Very, very famous project, Die And people speculate on what Die was, a secret weapon, time machine, a portal generator. If you go to the Internet, Most of the searches will tell you it's just a hoax. It's not just a hoax. Uh, DeGlaca was a real project. What might be the hoax is whether it was used for one thing or another, and that's what's essentially up for debate. But it was called the Bell because it looked like a bell. The Kecksburg UFO incident resulted in a little memorial being set up to commemorate what people saw in 1965 and what they saw looks like the bell. Now, some people have also speculated. I don't know the answer to this, but some people have speculated, some authors have speculated that what happened at Roswell was actually the test flying of a secretive German technology called de and it crashed in New Mexico. Now, if that were the case, maybe it was not test flown. Maybe the Germans were flying it, and it must have been kept ultra-top secret that something had gotten into U.S. airspace. But that's very far into U.S. airspace. It's likely it was some kind of test, if it was anything, I would think. But whatever it was that came from Roswell went to Wright-Patterson Area 51 and some say Area 52 Dugway Proving Ground. Not the real Area 52, but that's what it's been popularly called. And if it went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, maybe it did something did. I'm not sure what it is, but crashed in 1965 at Kecksburg, Pennsylvania that looks just like Deglaca. So when you take that into consideration, you start to think like I do, That there's a lot more than meets the eye. When we talk about the history of UFOs and UFO incidences and the laboratories that are involved in the development of atomic weapons and of advanced technologies, there's more than the surface level of history. And it would be one thing if this were occurring in the past and it were a really good radio subject a good late-night radio story, but what if it's also happening today? What if in the last few months there have been reports out of the Associated Press that whatever the Department of Energy or the Atomic Energy Commission did In the 1940s, in a remote part of southeastern Idaho, was still in the process of being cleaned up in 2021, slated to be cleaned entirely by 2095 over 130 years later. That is the official estimate of radioactive material that was leaked, spilt, and intentionally released in part in Idaho back in the 40s and the 1950s. The aquifer there in the southeastern part of Idaho, the Snake River Plain Aquifer, supplies water to farms and cities in the region was contaminated from nuclear testing in 1952, according to the U.S. Geological Survey report released in 2020. What sets out there in southeastern Idaho is a facility where the first nuclear reactors were constructed, Dozens and dozens of nuclear reactors were constructed out there during the Cold War. Just 38 miles from Idaho Falls, 38 miles from Idaho Falls, the 890 square mile laboratory that is the Idaho National Laboratory. Now, you've heard of Oak Ridge, you've heard of Hanford, you've heard of Los Alamos. You've heard of Area 51, Area 52, and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and the lore of all those places. Tonight I give you the Idaho National Laboratory. And not far from the Idaho National Laboratory, literally down the road, is ARCO. ARCO, Idaho. ARCO, Idaho, in 1955, became the world's first nuclear-powered city. The first nuclear-powered city is in Idaho. And that might not sound too interesting because today Arco is in essence the Rachel Nevada of Idaho. And people go to Arco in order to find lodging so that they can visit Craters of the Moon National Monument the next day or they go to Craters of the Moon and then stay in Arco that night. And right down the road from Arco is Atomic City. Now, Arco and Atomic City are out in essentially the middle of nowhere Idaho. And if you go out there, you really don't hear or see or feel or see. You have any indication that there is the National Laboratory of Idaho out there around the Arco area. You drive right past it. Most of it's underground. It's 890 square miles. It's a massive complex. There are little signs on the side of the road here or there. You can see structures that were built that show you a history of what was being developed there back in the forties and fifties and If you don't blink, you'll see a sign going in and out that says Idaho National Laboratory. Now, I suppose for those who are unaware of the history of the atomic bomb and unaware of the history of UFOs and UAPs, they might drive right past Oak Ridge, right past Los Alamos, right past the original side of Hanford in Washington, they might drive right past Wright-Patterson or Dugway or the Tonopah test range, right past Rachel, Nevada, right past Area 51. And For a lot of people, these things are uninteresting. But what I would like to show you tonight is that there is another history. There's a history that today in 2021 is an ongoing history of radiological contamination, and of what some speculate to be human experimentation and animal experimentation in the remote desert of southeastern Idaho. And tonight, here on The Secret Teachings, I am going to break this down for you. And I am going to show you that there's still a lot of incredible unexplained phenomena, not just in our skies, but right in our backyards. And there are lots of facilities and installations just like Area 51, just like Area 52, just like Wright-Patterson, just like Oak Ridge, just like Los Alamos and Hanford, where bizarre, ethically questionable, and outrageous Experiments are conducted. What goes on at the Idaho National Lab, a lot of it's public, a lot of it's not. We're going to talk about it tonight on The Secret Teachings. Stay with us. I promise you won't be disappointed. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
2: Do you like the secret teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a practical, balanced, and unique look at the food industry, vaccinations, the theories of disease, and geoengineering, grab a copy of Food Philosophy. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana
1: The truth is out there, and so are we. KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
0: If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs and get access to the digital versions of each one of my books. For the month of June, home of the summer solstice, you can submit a one-time donation of only $45 and get a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping. For those of you who want to consistently support The Show, you can subscribe for a monthly donation and get the same access to the archive. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donation Subscribe tab at the top of the page. If you're just interested in the books, you can find each one of those on the website as well. And if you have any questions, you can email me at rdgable at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for supporting The Secret Teachings over the years. I look forward to keeping you company through all the late nights and early mornings for many years to come. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? Do you really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhance and improved sound quality, edit out those awkward slips, mix multiple clips and tracks, back volume, deliver consistent sound. Live podcast production, show notes, and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels and loudness, measure broadcast standards, full branding package, logo design, podcast site, website, logo no artwork. Or do you yeah, just everybody. want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting audio and video production needs. Perhaps. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, the professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire.
2: The biggest thing is time. A lot of people that podcast don't have time, and take you months to launch.
1: We did it for you. We could do it tomorrow. Visit the fringe.fm, join our team, and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. This is Jess Rogie, host of The Rogie Report, and you're listening to The Fringe FM, KTLK, digital broadcasting.
0: Get the f***. listening to The Secret Teachings, and I'm your host Ryan Gable. Thank you for tuning in this evening right here on The Fringe FM. Tonight, I'm bringing you a little bit of an unsolved mystery. I'm bringing you something that could equally make an excellent television show, could fit into the plot line of a movie, and could become part of conspiracy lore and perhaps even historical conspiracy lore on the level of something like an atomic bomb or a John F. Kennedy. But it's something that although it's very public, I had never heard of it in all the things I've read, all the things I've researched, I had never heard of the Idaho National Laboratory. That was until 2017 when I just happened to drive by it, going to see the solar eclipse. I was out with Brad Olson. We went to Craters of the Moon, and we went to see his father over about an hour west of Yellowstone, and we saw the full eclipse there. And on the way back, I saw the National Laboratory again, And I did a little bit of research into it. And then a few months later, I went back out there and I stayed at a place called Arco, Idaho. Arco was the first city in the world to be powered by nuclear energy. And it was only for a few hours. But it was back in 1955. And it won world fame as a result of that. Powered. By what was going on, the technology at the Idaho National Laboratory, which is just down the road. And if you go there to the little town of Arco, or you go there to the surrounding town of Atomic City, you don't really hear anything about the Idaho National Laboratory. There's an atomic museum. It's a National Historic Landmark. You can go get tours of some of the surrounding area. But when you look at this thing on a map, it reminds me of Area 51. It reminds me of Tonopah and Rachel, Nevada, on the outskirts of Area 51. Now, people go there as part of a pilgrimage, or they go there to have a little bit of fun like I did. I... Watched some old episodes of The X-Files on VHS. I watched The Blair Witch Project. I watched whatever VHSs they had in their little archive in the cafe area of the little motel. And to me, it's fun to be surrounded by that lore of UFOs and all the famous people that have gone there and taken pictures and made documentaries and the TV shows and the movies. But when all that attention... It's focused on one location like Area 51. We tend to forget about other places like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base or places like Dugway Proving Ground, which has now been given the designation Area 52 despite the fact that there is an official Area 52, and that is the Tonopah test range of a restricted military installation about 30 miles southeast of Tonopah, Nevada. And it's just on the northern edge of Nellis Air Force Base, 70 miles northwest of Groom Lake, which is the official Area 51 facility. Now, remember, Area 51 wasn't acknowledged as a facility until 2013, although, funny enough, you can read Las Vegas news articles from 1996 where the federal government was investigating the burning of hazardous waste at Area 51. So officially there wasn't a designation, there wasn't an acknowledgement, but it is, it's just been a joke for decades. And UFO enthusiasts and researchers have gone in the flock there. I think the Idaho National Laboratory is very similar because there's a tremendous amount of history here that goes back to the 1950s that very few people I have spoken to in my 10 years of radio have known about Uh, no matter how well read they are on the subject of atomic history. You know, it's just not like a UFO crash at Roswell and debris taken to Wright Patterson air or area 51. But in 1951 in the Idaho desert, electricity was generated from nuclear fission. The Idaho desert is essentially the birthplace of nuclear power. Now, that, I think, is pretty significant. You might think of spy planes being developed at Area 51. You might think of biological chemical agents being developed at Dugway Proving Ground or Fort Detrick, Maryland. You might think of Los Alamos and the atomic bomb, but where did the technological developments come about for the usage of atomic technologies, nuclear technologies, to craft usable energy that the public could utilize for everyday life? Well, it started in southeastern Idaho at an 890-square-mile facility just 50 miles west of Idaho Falls, Idaho one of the other larger cities outside of Boise. Otherwise, Idaho is quite desolate, very similar to Nevada. It's located on U.S. Highway 2026 between Idaho Falls and Arco. It's a National Historic Landmark, and it's open, part of it, the EBR1 Atomic Museum, to the public. You can see nuclear reactors, two aircraft that were prototypes for the military to be powered through nuclear propulsion. And the second time I went out there to this place, this historic landmark, I saw the prototypes and I thought, I've seen that somewhere. That looks like something from the video game Fallout, where the cars are basically powered by atomic energy, and they blow up like little atomic bombs with mushroom clouds. Well, they actually built things like this back in the 1950s. Now, although this is basically open to the public, a lot of the facility uh, that's part of the museum uh, is, is just stuff that's old. It's not like this is what's happening today. Now, if you go to the website, You can read, I read something about carbon technologies and sustainable energy. So they're very public about what they're doing today. And if you go out and look at the facility, a lot of the facility is just open desert. We're imagining that most of the facility is probably underground, but it's just out kind of in the open. You don't really see the kinds of security features that you would see at Area 51, maybe because one is military and there are major aerospace investments there, so there's private security. And then a place like the Idaho National Laboratory, they're testing nuclear technologies. They're developing new types of technologies. And although it's very secret and private, there's also the lack of a need for the same level of security as Area 51 because people don't try to storm the Idaho National Laboratory on acid. Do you know what I mean? People don't gather in Arco, Idaho to storm INL like Naruto. Uh, Heather Wade didn't tell you to go to Arco, Idaho and storm the Idaho National Laboratory to see what kind of nuclear technologies they have that might have been reverse-engineered from an alien spacecraft. Now, I love the old radio world, and I love the old alien stories and UFO stories, and, but we're entering a new paradigm. We're entering, just in the month of June 2021, a time in which the federal government is officially acknowledging, in what amounts to legal, uh, legal uh, jargon, that there is no evidence of extraterrestrial technology in flying objects that Navy pilots have seen, but they also acknowledge they can't rule it out. According to officials briefed on the findings of the highly anticipated government report coming out in just about three weeks, the government specifically says in the report, and I don't have a quote, but this is specifically from the report published by the New York Times, On Saturday, or excuse me, Friday, this was uh, Friday of last week, the end of last week over the weekend, that the 120 incidents over the past two decades did not originate from any American military or other advanced U.S. government technology. The determination would appear to eliminate the possibility that Navy pilots who reported seeing unexplained aircraft might have encountered programs the government meant to keep secret. I ask, did the government mean to keep those projects or those programs secret or did they mean for the pilots to see them, to test them in the real world in a non-aggressive capacity? Did the government try to keep those things secret? Now, when I think of all these laboratories where the experiments for downed or crashed or whatever they are, UFOs were supposedly performed at Area 51 and place like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and you know Ohio's not very far from Pennsylvania where the Kecksburg UFO crashed back in the 1960s and that looks similar to the DeGlocka Bell project and others have linked DeGlocka to Roswell and of course Roswell was home to the only bombing squad that was authorized and trained to handle atomic weapons and it's at Roswell that this supposed alien craft crashes leading to additional speculation that what happened were aliens or UFOs whatever they are were monitoring the development of nuclear technologies both at places like Roswell, New Mexico, where the atomic bombs were held and were transported to and from, and places like Area 51 in Nevada, and at various nuclear missile silos throughout the United States, you can read declassified, and some of them were never classified, reports from the military, military officials, about seeing objects over the installation, violating base security, and shutting off the facility. Now, when you take this into consideration, and you think about aliens and UFOs and atomic energy, I wonder this, and I don't want to discredit or to demean ufology, but my my question is this, and maybe this is something that you know I don't know, and you you can help me out with this. If aliens, if extraterrestrials, were really concerned about the development of nuclear technology. And they were really concerned about atomic weapons. And they were traveling to New Mexico. And they were watching these atomic weapons and If aliens were concerned with our development of this type of technology, why do we not hear a lot about what's happening historically in Idaho's Arco Desert? You've got the first town to use nuclear power, Arco, Idaho. You've got the Idaho National Laboratory. You've got the Atomic Museum out there, a national historic landmark, the EBR-1. You've got four nuclear reactors. You can just go visit them. But you've got the main facility, the Idaho National Laboratory, which spans 890 square miles. A large portion of the facility is testing grounds where various things have been tested. The first and the largest, first in the sense it's the the first Enormous non-nuclear explosion. So the first. Explosion that was non-nuclear. But was as powerful in a sense as the first atomic bomb Trinity. The first I say. Unofficial atomic bomb. I I believe the Germans developed an atomic bomb. I believe that the uranium bomb. Dropped on Japan. The one dropped on Hiroshima Little Boy was a German atomic bomb, that it was traded to the United States with additional uranium and with a fuse-building scientist, Heinz Schlick. But the first atomic bomb, Trinity, as history tells us, they developed nuclear vehicles, tested radiological agents, very similar to not a biological agent like a nerve gas used in the 60s and killed a bunch of sheep in Utah, but there are stories out of the Idaho National Laboratory of both employees and of animals in the surrounding area that have been experimented on knowingly or, in the case of humans, unknowingly. Animals... I would assume know that they're being assaulted by something. The animals were experimented on many of them, according to the things that I've read were burned alive or suffered radiation burns. There have been many incidences at the Idaho national laboratory where people have gotten ill or people have been exposed to radiation. And this goes back just the last decade or so. Uh, In March of 2021, it was announced, according to the Associated Press, and this was published in Boise, Idaho, that there's ongoing cleanup work of radioactive and other contamination at the Idaho National Laboratory in eastern Idaho, and it's been successful in protecting the environment, according to the U.S. and Idaho state officials. This review, this document, this article, March 27, 2021, but this five year review, so this goes back to 2016. A five-year review was published by the U.S. Department of Energy, the U.S. Department of Environmental Quality, and the Idaho Department of Environmental Quality also. And they said that potential exposures in areas that aren't yet cleaned up are being controlled. It's interesting because go back to the beginning of the Idaho National Laboratory. It was operated in the 1940s under the Atomic Energy Commission, which became the Energy Department or the DOE. And it was... Established to build, test, and operate nuclear reactors. Fuel processing plants and support facilities. 52 reactors were built over the years at the Idaho National Laboratory. Plus experimental new technologies such as nuclear-powered cars. Like something you'd see in the video game Fallout. And non-nuclear detonations of an immense... Brilliance. The 890 square mile facility, also being located in the high desert sagebrush, uh, sagebrush of southeastern Idaho, sits atop of the Lake Erie sized, it's actually a little bit bigger than Lake Erie, Snake River Plain Aquifer, which supplies water to farms in that region. The aquifer became contaminated from the nuclear site in 1952 according to a U.S. Geological Survey report released in 2020. This is recent. In 2020, the U.S. Geological Survey report says that the aquifer was contaminated in the early 1950s. The Geological Survey report said contamination levels at all but a handful of nearly 180 wells are below acceptable standards for drinking water as set by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. The U.S. Geological Survey, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency are acknowledging in their own words that the overall declaration from the federal government that there's no harm to humans or the environment, they're outright stating that's false. So how can the federal government then say that everything's okay? Contamination at the site, according to this report, reached the aquifer through injection wells, unlined porcelain ponds, Pits where radioactive material from other states was dumped, such as Hanford, Washington, and accidental spills. They've experimented with plutonium there. There have been incidences with plutonium and plutonium. Spent plutonium rods were also stored there from Hanford. That's where most of it was manufactured during the Manhattan Project. It's one of the three primary laboratories with Los Alamos and Oak Ridge in New Mexico and Tennessee. Uh, in 1989, the area was added to the National Priorities List for Uncontrolled Hazardous Waste Sites. Uncontrolled doesn't sound like it's not a threat to humans or the environment. Now, the report from the U.S. Geological Survey says contamination at several key nuclear facilities exists, including the Advanced Test Reactor, Test Area North, the Idaho Nuclear Technology and Engineering Center, and its associated tank farm facility, along with a number of landfills containing additional nuclear waste. For example, at the tank farm facility, the report cites soil and groundwater contamination. In 1972, about 19,000 gallons of radioactive sodium-bearing waste that involved tritium, strontium-90, cesium-137, and plutonium-238 spilled during a failed underground transfer. The report from the U.S. Geological Survey lists a target year of cleanup. Get this, to clean up, A mistake made in the 1970s, and going back to the 1940s, a series of other mistakes, is 2,095 to achieve remediation objectives there with the final plan to install a cap over the area to prevent water from reaching contaminated soil. It's already reached the soil. It's already reached the water. In fact, Idaho has the largest number of counties according to what I've read, affected by nuclear testing in the 1950s and 60s. Idaho is home to the Idaho National Laboratory where the first nuclear reactor was built, where nuclear material from one of the three major labs of the Manhattan Project was stored, and where this material, intentional or otherwise, mostly unintentional, has leaked or been spilt into the groundwater contaminating the very large Snake River Plain aquifer, contaminating the soil, and therefore causing harm or potential harm to surrounding residents and much of the state of Idaho and the surrounding area. And yet the Idaho National Laboratory isn't shut down like Hanford. In fact, it's playing a key role in revamping the nation's nuclear power industry today in 2021, helping to develop a new wave of Nuclear reactors as part of a strategy to reduce U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by generating carbon-free electricity with nuclear power. I'd say that carbon dioxide is a little less of a threat than nuclear technology. Wouldn't you? I'd say that exhaling is a little less dangerous than thousands of gallons of radioactive material being dumped transferred, spilled, et cetera, over decades into the soil, into the water, into the Snake River Plain Aquifer. Now, just think about how many other laboratories, private, federal, under the DOE or otherwise, have done things like this. Dugway Proving Ground is a very famous one for the sheep incident back in the 60s, But you don't hear about the Idaho National Laboratory, the nuclear cars, the first reactor, dozens of additional reactors, 52 in total, fuel processing plants, support facilities, test and operations of nuclear reactors for the first time ever in the United States, powering Arco, Idaho, the first town to be powered by nuclear energy. And yet, this is something that you're not reading about. Alongside of the Manhattan Project, you're not reading about this alongside of Roswell and Kecksburg and Wright-Patterson and Area 51. And yet there it is in southeastern Idaho, the Area 51 of Idaho, the Idaho National Laboratory, the Rachel Nevada, the Tonopah Nevada of Idaho, Arco, Idaho just outside of Craters of the Moon National Monument, just outside of the Idaho National Laboratory, there it sits. History, mystery, potential human and animal experimentations, certainly animal experimentations, or at least accidental experiments. People can be accidentally affected, and then they can be examined for the effects, and that can be turned into an experiment, just to see what would happen. And it all is there in southeastern Idaho. And I'm going to continue to break this down with more research, more investigation into the Idaho National Lab right after this break. Please go to the website, subscribe to the show, www.thesecretteachings.info. You get access to the montage, archive, the show archive, and a free copy of one of my books, When You Subscribe, for one year. It's only $45 for the month of Letha, the summer solstice. It supports you, it supports the network, and it supports the secret teachings. Stay with us. More after this. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence, but... (laughs)
1: and even order yours today. It not only supports The Secret Teachings and Fringe FM,
0: but most importantly, it supports you. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hear more while supporting the show, visit our website at www.thesecretteachings.info and subscribe to our show archive. As a yearly subscriber, you can download and stream every show after it airs, and get access to the digital versions of each one of my books. For the month of June, home of the summer solstice, you can submit a one time donation of only $45 and get a free physical copy of one of my books with free shipping. For those of you who want to consistently support the show, you can subscribe for a monthly donation and get the same access to the archive. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donation Subscribe tab at the top of the page. If you're just interested in the books, you can find each one of those on the website as well and if you have any questions you can email me at rdgable at yahoo.com thank you so much for supporting the secret teachings over the years I look forward to keeping you company through all the late nights and early mornings for many years to come
1: they all say the same thing they're all like you know over the last four years everything good that happened was because of us and we would have done more good stuff if it wasn't for those guys, and then the Democrats going, well, oh, we did all the good stuff. <laughs> it's like you're all working for the same guy. Want more of The Fringe? Check out thefringe.fm for more information on your favorite shows. Also, don't forget to check out The Fringe mobile app or the other ways you can tune in through the Paranormal radio app and talk stream live. Where the normal
0: and paranormal collide, it's The Fringe FM. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM.
2: This is the Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com or find him on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Secret Teachings.
1: Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening
0: to The Secret Teachings. I'm Clyde Lewis from Ground Zero Radio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Hi, it's David Childress from Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Music tonight, White Bat Audio and Secession Studios. The show is The Secret Teachings. The network is Fringe FM or visit the website at thefringe.fm or fringe, F R I N G f-m Our website, www.thesecretteachings.info. Our archive is there on the website. When you subscribe, you get access to the whole show archive. Every broadcast after it airs, you can stream it, you can download it, take it with you, listen when you have the time to do so. You also get access to all the montages and my digital books. And for the month of June, all of that is only $45. Plus you get a free copy of one of my books, Occult Arcana, Food Philosophy, or the Technological Elixir. It's free shipping in the United States, and we do ship around the world. You can grab those books separately on the website. They each have their own page. I mentioned the Technological Elixir tonight because I have a section on the atomic bomb. I have a section on UFO cults and much, much more. It's a very large book, like Occult Arcana. Food Philosophy is also a large book. And we are also doing a combo pack where you buy all three books and you get a substantial discount on that. If you have questions about the books, the subscriptions, the show, the network, anything, shoot me an email, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's r-d-g-a-b-l-e at yahoo.com. The Idaho National Laboratory. Southeastern Idaho. Out in the desert. Like... Area 51, Groom Lake, the facility that never existed but does exist, according to the government in 2013. But there are so many other sites, like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, that were popularized because of the Roswell lore. So much came out of Roswell, we don't know exactly what it was. Some speculate a secret government project, a secret government program. Some believe that the material was used to reverse engineer this alien technology to develop spycraft, to develop new types of weapons, to develop lasers, infrared, etc., etc., etc. All things that were arguably developed back in the 1930s by the hyper-advanced German science elite. And the Kecksburg UFO crash looks very similar to one of the glocka objects that were developed by the Germans back in the nineteen late 1930s, early 1940s. Perhaps part of a deal for immunity at the end of the war, a war along with uranium, a uranium bomb that was dropped on Japan as is my theory, and the theory of others who have read through the history, the little boy uranium bomb, August 6, 1945, Hiroshima, Japan. A lot of that material for other atomic bombs, plutonium, was developed at Hanford National Laboratory. Other national laboratories, Los Alamos and Oak Ridge National Laboratory, contributed greatly. Those are the three primary national laboratories with Oppenheimer, the famous or infamous scientist working at Los Alamos. There were actually multiple groups that were working on atomic bombs. Highly, highly secretive. Only a handful of people were in the know. Plausible deniability for others that you would think would know what's going on. And those national laboratories for a lot of people mean very little today. We don't think about them, unless, of course, we're interested in UFOs or World War II, then we know about those national labs. For others who are interested in UFOs and UFO lore, they've probably heard of Area 51. I mean, the government finally acknowledged it exists in 2013, and eight years later, this month, we're on the verge of total UFO, UAP, alien disclosure. The U.S. government finds no evidence of alien technology and flying objects, but can't rule it out either, says the New York Times. On June 3rd, 2021, this is part of a brief of the upcoming and highly anticipated government report required to be released within six months of its request back in January by the Trump administration. The government saying that a lot of these objects, at least the 120 incidents over the past two decades that have been witnessed by the Navy, did not originate from any American military or other advanced U.S. government technology officials said. Now, you break down what certain laboratories and facilities, military or otherwise, do. You find that, yes, Area 51 might be a great place to take technology to reverse-engineer it, whether it were German or it were alien. Extraterrestrial from somewhere else. SR-71, the B-2 bomber, spy planes, Cold War, Area 51. Then you have... Area 52, unofficially, Dugway Proving Ground. The official Area 52 is Tonopah Test Range, just right around the corner from Rachel, Nevada. It's in Nevada, Tonopah Test Range, 70 miles northwest of Groom Lake, the Area 51 facility. Area 52, Dugway Proving Ground, is a U.S. Army facility where they test biological and chemical weapons. And back in the 1960s, a nerve agent killed a bunch of sheep, 4,000-plus sheep, injuring thousands of others, there were multiple other smaller incidences, reportedly, that put Dugway Proving Ground on the map for people that were involved in conspiracy research and government cover-up research, and Dugway Proving Ground has been speculated to be one of the locations in which, well, debris from Roswell was taken. The major location outside of Area 51, however, is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and Of course, in wright Patterson's not too far from Pennsylvania and Kecksburg in terms of what an aircraft might be able to do. And the Kecksburg UFO was seen over six U.S. states, over Canada, over Detroit, crashed supposedly in Kecksburg. Some say, hey, it was just a satellite. You start looking at these facilities and they, they might be great facilities to send this material to analyze it. In the same way that Oak Ridge and Los Alamos and Hanford during the Manhattan Project each had a role to play in developing the atomic bomb. Or at least the plutonium bomb. Likewise, there are always going to be other facilities, other places, other people, and other parts of the story that you've never heard. You might not have ever heard that Robert Oppenheimer refused to build a hydrogen bomb and had his government clearance stripped from him. Maybe he decided, determined he was an ethical person or decided he just couldn't partake in the building of another weapon of mass destruction and therefore lost a lot of his prestige and lost a lot of the respect that people had for him. One thing you might also not know is that while Our attention is focused on the history of the atomic bomb at those three labs or the history of Roswell at those three facilities, two in particular, Wright-Patterson and Area 51. There's a facility in Idaho. This facility is called the Idaho National Laboratory. It was created in the 1940s under the Atomic Energy Commission, the AEC, a forerunner to the Department of Energy, the DOE or the Energy Department which oversees the national laboratories and the INL, the Idaho national laboratory was part of a plan to build, test and operate nuclear reactors. They built 52 since the 1940s. They also operated open air tests of these reactors leading to widespread contamination of the surrounding area and it was used for fuel processing plants and support facilities for these other facilities. Eight hundred ninety square miles. It sits atop of the Snake River Plain Aquifer, larger than Lake Erie. Uh, larger than Lake Erie, excuse me. The Snake River Plain Aquifer, and since nineteen fifty two, this aquifer became contaminated according to a U.S. Geological Survey report released just last year in 2020. The U.S. Geological Survey reported contamination levels at all but a handful of 180 wells are below acceptable standards for drinking water as set by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Despite that, the federal government and state officials in Idaho said that they are successfully cleaning up the contamination And protecting humans and the environment, despite the fact that the water is contaminated, the ground, the soil contaminated, animals, perhaps people are contaminated. Idaho already has one of the highest numbers of counties and people, one of the highest number of people and counties that have been exposed to radiation from the 1950s and 1960s, nuclear testing in places like Nevada. Idaho also had some of the highest amounts of contamination from Fukushima. And that is according to an article from June of 2011. You can look this up. Nuclear radiation in the Teton Valley, T-E-T-O-N Valley. There's a question mark there. The nuclear radiation in the Teton Valley. Radioactive cleanup at Idaho nuclear site, the government says it's working, but official reports coming out last year, U.S. Geological Survey and the EPA also saying that it's not, not that it's not working, but it's not safe. Now, back in 2005, the Centers for Disease Control published a fact sheet about research involving radiation releases from the Idaho National Lab. They go on to describe the Idaho National Lab and say that in 1991, the INL, or the Idaho National Engineering Laboratory, completed a three-year effort, which I suppose began in 1988, to evaluate historical releases of radioactive materials and potential doses to a hypothetical individual who may have resided at an off-site location with the highest concentration of airborne radionuclides. So basically what they're saying is they're doing A little bit of an investigation back in the 90s to see if this random hypothetical person could have been exposed to airborne contamination of radioactive material. Obviously, they're basically referring to a form of downwinder. Airborne releases, according to the CDC, were highest from 1955 through 1965. That's 10 solid years. The most important radio. Nuclides were iodine-129 and 131, cesium-137, strontium-90, and noble gases including krypton-88. The body organs receiving the highest doses were the thyroid and the skin. The Idaho Department of Health and Welfare formed the Dose Evaluation Review and Assessment Advisory Panel to review the 1991 historical dose evaluation and to make recommendations for future work. The advisory panel published its findings in 1991. The CDC goes on to say that they were asked to conduct a dose reconstruction study at this site in 1992. The purpose of the research was to identify the release of a chemical and radioactive material or various materials since the site opened and to determine the potential health effects of these releases and how they affected the community. CDC and its contractors began by locating and cataloging several thousand documents. They go through everything. They determine using the documents and listing them in order of importance in this publication for the chemicals and the radionuclides released from the INL over years based on screening evaluations, calculations for representative persons and exposure scenarios. In 2004... Over a decade later, the CDC contractors completed a dose reconstruction on two sources, the Aircraft Nuclear Propulsion Program Initial Engine Test Series and the Idaho Chemical Processing Plant. The study found that the calculated doses for these two sources were small and not sufficient to cause human health effects. Now, see, the CDC conducted a multi-year report and they determined that, look, it didn't cause harm to the public. It didn't cause harm to the environment. And a recent report from the Associated Press says the same thing. The government has cleaned it up and they'll be done by, in one place, 2095, according to the Associated Press. That's 2095. 2095. Like, that's, that's a long time after they made a lot of mistakes. So, my question is, there's so much contamination, water, soil, in the air, animals, humans, and yet... It's all okay. We've got a U.S. geological survey, the EPA, saying that groundwater is not drinkable. And the CDC says after a 10-plus year investigation, look, these doses of radiation, when we we estimated, uh, based on the records, uh, this wasn't harmful. This This didn't hurt anybody. Well, that's kind of like saying, you know, If you take a very, 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 very tiny, 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 tiny like microscopic drop of some kind of poison and you drink that in a gallon of water, it might not be enough to kill you or cause severe neurological damages. But it might, if you have that gallon of water every day, accumulate to the point where you do die. You know, if you're allergic to something uh, like, let's say, a banana. uh, And when I was a kid, I was allergic to bananas or something that they sprayed on the bananas. And if I ate a little bit of banana, I was okay. But if I ate more than a little bit, if I ate a whole banana, I would start to swell up and get itchy. But you could say that in small doses, that banana is not something I'm allergic to. So that's really what we're trying to get down to the bottom of is what happened at INL, and also I'd like to share with you as I have tonight that there is this place in Idaho, the INL, that has this incredible history, the first nuclear reactor powering the first nuclear city, Arco, Idaho, the largest non-nuclear detonation of explosives, radioactive materials sprayed in experiments, humans experimented on unintentionally, perhaps intentionally in accidents and incidences over the years. So many mistakes and spills, housing material, plutonium from places like Hanford, doing this in the remote part of an Idaho desert and building back in the 50s, nuclear-powered cars, building 52 different reactors. You would think that somebody would have put this in line with the remainder of the Manhattan Project story. You would think that has some connection to it. You would think that the Idaho National Laboratory would be put into line with the story of Area 51 and Dugway and Wright-Patterson and other facilities, considering that if aliens and UFOs are really coming to Earth and they are interested in nuclear developments and nuclear technologies, why is it? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe I have no idea. However, I am speculating that there's a piece of information missing here, or there's some motivation other than the truth That is motivating people to look elsewhere. Why are the UFOs not appearing in Arco, Idaho, Atomic City, Craters of the Moon National Monument, Idaho Falls? Why is this not an absolute hotbed of UFO activity? Now, maybe not today, but why was it not a hotbed of UFO activity, UAP activity, back in the 40s and 50s and 60s when this stuff was being reported. Now, it is true, and and, and I find this quite interesting, that Idaho has the highest per capita UFO reporting in the country. Now, if Idaho has the highest number of UFO sightings in the country... That would confirm my theory that the Idaho National Lab and the atomic nuclear testing back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and today is drawing, perhaps, these things to Idaho. So if they're drawn to missile silos, if they're drawn to Roswell, the first atomic bomb uh group that had been trained to handle atomic weapons, the 509th, then I theorize these UFOs should be drawn to to Idaho as well and and, and to the southeastern part of Idaho. And in fact, according to a news article from June of 2020, it's about a year ago, Idaho has the highest per capita UFO sighting rate in the country. So now, answering those rhetorical, partly literal questions, I can move on to my second thought, my second question. Why is it the UFO community has virtually no investigative energy in places like Idaho or the Idaho National Laboratory? Now, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy. I'm simply saying... We're waiting this month for government UFO, UAP disclosure. We're waiting for the government to tell us. And all the same usual suspects are gathered around the government campfire waiting for a good story. And yet, places like Idaho and the Idaho National Lab, this history of involvement and relationship with atomic energy from the Manhattan Project to Arguably, what amounts to something as important as Roswell, something as important as the atomic bomb. Idaho has all these UFOs. Idaho has the atomic energy. Idaho has the conspiracies. Idaho has what I would imagine after watching The X Files, you know, thinking in The X Files, who had the alien? in one of the original seasons the department of energy had the alien where do the aliens or the the, the demigorgon come from in stranger things they came from an idaho national laboratory like facility they came from a department of energy facility all i'm saying ladies and gentlemen is if you want to see them aliens and you want to see those demigorgons and you want to see the upside down world and you want disclosure i would turn your eyes and your ears, and your attention, and your energy, and your UFO dollars, away from Washington, D.C., and away from not all, just a small number of the usual suspects who sell you the same crap over and over and over again. And I would turn all of that to Idaho. And I would turn it not just to the Idaho National Laboratory, but elsewhere in Idaho where you have the highest per capita UFO sightings in the country. You also have the hub of what amounts to ground zero for atomic energy, nuclear reactors, non-nuclear explosions, various forms of advanced nuclear technologies outside of those just generating energy, cars and planes that would be nuclear-powered. Technologies that are being developed today and are being developed in an advanced form today. Sure, there's a little note here or there from Reuters or the Center for Public Integrity, nuclear negligence, or the Idaho Statesman, reporting that 17 workers were exposed to radiation at the Idaho lab, 2011. Radiation warnings going unheeded at the Idaho nuclear plant, 2017. The federal government acknowledging radiation and chemicals killed about 396 in Idaho, 2015. The Idaho National Lab and the issue of contamination, 2018. Milk of cows and goats nearby get tested regularly for the presence of radioiodine, which can increase the risk of thyroid cancer in people because of the radiation levels. I would turn my eyes and my ears to places like Idaho. Not literally just Idaho, but places like Idaho, places that are off the beaten path far more than Rachel and Tonopah, Nevada. Places you wouldn't suspect to see or hear a UFO or to see or hear any kind of talk about aliens, UAPs, disclosure or to hear anything about the history of atomic energy and nuclear power and atomic bombs in the Manhattan Project. It's all there in the state of Idaho. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Please go to our website. If you enjoy tonight's show, the research that I do to come up with these topics every single day of the week, Monday through Friday. I even work to research on the weekends. Please go to the website. Subscribe to the archive. You get access to all the shows, all the montages, all the digital books. And for a one year subscription, you get a free copy of one of my books, autographed with free shipping in the U.S. We do ship around the world and we do offer the book separately. You buy a book, you subscribe, it supports the show. $45 rdgable at yahoo.com is the paypal email or go to the website or just email me if you have any questions or concerns it supports you the network and the secret teachings i'm ryan gable stay safe stay informed stay healthy and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast